Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. I'm ready to get into my sermon, but first, happy Labor Day. All right. You don't have to work tomorrow. All right. Way to go. How many of you guys do have to work tomorrow? Oh, the few, the proud, the angry. All right. I'm sorry. Thank you for giving us a day off. Uh, My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, I'm the executive pastor. And people are beginning to pick up that uh, I preach on the holidays. Have you noticed that yet? I'm the holiday preacher, all right? Um, so a few folks this week went, Labor Day's coming. You up this weekend? I'm like, you've caught on, all right? We give PD a weekend off, and uh, I'm up here. If it's your first time, I'm so glad you're here. I hope today's encouraging to you. Uh, I hope that you get something out of today, and I actually think you really will uh, get something out of today. I think uh, whether you believe what we believe or not, um, man, we want to encourage you, and we want you to know that we want you to feel like family when you're here. And last thing before I jump into this, online. Hello. Good to see you. Glad you're there. Uh, we got a big online audience that, wa- that watches every single week for whatever reason. They either can't get here or choose to watch online. We love you, and we know that we're out there. Let's give the online folks a hand. Let's let them know we love them. All right. Time to preach, all right? I, um, I've been in this message for a while. I've had it uh, in my head, and I struggled to get it on paper, and I really wrestled it down uh, this week, and I've come up uh, with these, th- this title of this sermon that I think, I think kind of describes why it's been a struggle for me. I, I, we call, we're calling this sermon today, The Paradox of Proximity. The paradox of proximity. Proximity means closeness, like how close something is. And one of the chief things I hear from our congregation, from folks out there like you, uh, one of the things I hear a lot is like, man, I just don't feel close to God. Just not feeling God right now. You're either in a season, there's some circumstances in your life that causes these stressors, and for whatever reason, it's distancing you from God. Or maybe you're new. All right. Maybe you're going, I just like discovered Jesus was a thing. And there's people out there and they're raising their hands and they're singing, their eyes are closed, they're tearing up. And I'm just sitting there saying, man, I don't, I don't know that I feel it. So I hear that a lot. So if you've ever been in a scenario where you don't feel close to God, that's what this sermon is about. And I think when we come here every Sunday, we see a lot of examples of passion. We talk about passion as one of our defining marks here. We want to be a passionate church. So you do have people raising their hands and shouting out to Jesus. And they're yelling. They're saying, woo-hoo. And they're singing loud. And, and I'm sitting there going, man, I don't know if I always feel that close. So that's what today's about. Reminds me of a Seinfeld bit. Any Seinfeld fans out there, all right? All right. I love you. You're my people. Um, uh, the two chief... Um, guiding principles in my life are scripture and Seinfeld. So hopefully in that order, but I can't always guarantee that. Um, Seinfeld's got a bit. He's like, you ever seen those soda commercials? Like people, people are so enthusiastic in soda commercials. They're like, we have soda, we have soda. They're riding jet skis and doing backflips and spiking volleyballs. And you're sitting on your couch drinking the same soda. And you're thinking, maybe I'm putting too much ice in mine. Like, you know that feeling? You ever think that in your spiritual life? Like you're sitting here in church and the guy next to you is just wailing. He's living it up. He's singing. He's happy. And you're sitting there going, 
I don't know. I'm not feeling it. I don't know if I'm feeling it. Well, here's what I want to start with today. You might get hung up on a few of these lines and I'm going to drop to you, but I want you to hear me out. If you object to any of them, you can email me at pd at peakcityco.com. <laughs> here's the first thing that I want you to hear when I'm talking about your feelings. Your feelings might be irrelevant. Now, hear me out all the way. Your feelings might be irrelevant. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in tune with your feelings. I want you to be in tune with your feelings. I'm not saying that your feelings are invalid. I'm not even saying that your feelings are irrelevant. I am saying that your feelings might be irrelevant. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Last week, Angie and I celebrated 19 years of marriage. That's a long time. She's a lucky woman, all right? Uh, 19 years, and, and I mean this, and, and, and I, I almost didn't include this, but I, I mean this, and I want y'all to hear this. I've never had a minute that I've not wanted to be married to Angie. I just, I just love her. She's amazing. She's incredible. But I'm not telling you that every single minute of my marriage, I feel married, all right? I don't wake up in the morning stretching my arms and go, woo, I feel married today. I'm feeling married right now. I don't necessarily feel it, but it's still true. At the same time, if I don't feel it, that doesn't mean I can just change my behavior. If a woman walks by and she's really attractive and I stare at her, look her up and down, and Angie smacks me in the chest, I can't say, I didn't feel married when she walked by. That's not my fault. I didn't feel married. See, sometimes our feelings aren't there, but it doesn't change the fact that I got a ring on my finger I got a marriage license, I got four kids, and I got 19 years of history with this incredible woman. You may not feel it every moment, but it's still there. I'll give you another example. Um, uh, Most of us in here right now are American, all right? I'm assuming, and I'm probably correct in that. I don't wake up feeling American, having Lee Greenwood proud to be an American playing in my head every day. In fact, in our culture right now, with the government, with politics, and it's really divisive and there's these parties fighting all the time, you can get this feeling that you're angry, you're upset with America. But I'll tell you this, when you leave here today, you're gonna go drive on roads that are maintained by the government. And I'll say this too, being in Colorado Springs, your neighbors, your friends are tens of thousands of men and women that serve in the armed forces that keep us safe. And you may say, well, I don't feel safe. I can say, well, if they weren't here, things would feel certainly different than they feel right now. You may not feel it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. So that applies to your spiritual life. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's not there. And I wanna make sure you're understanding this. Your feelings are valid. Your feelings are valid. Feelings make great warning lights and indicators to what's going on in your life, but feelings make lousy drivers. Too many times we take our feelings, we put them in the front seat, we hop in the back, and our feelings are driving us all over the place that we may not wanna go. Well, I feel it, so it must be true. Listen. Your feelings might be irrelevant. Your feelings might be irrelevant. Think about your relationship with Jesus. Think about what scripture teaches us about Jesus. Nowhere in scripture does it promise us that we're gonna feel Jesus in our hearts all the time. Nowhere in scripture does it set an expectation that in our hearts you're gonna feel close to him. That's why proximity is a paradox. 
You're not promised that you're gonna feel close to Jesus all the time. It doesn't say you're gonna wake up in the morning, give finger guns to the sky and say, I feel you, God, you're here, I got you, I feel you, man. Never promises that. It never promises that. That also doesn't mean that you won't feel it. There's a guy in scripture named David. He writes this book of Psalms and these Psalms, man, they're incredible. They're like poems. And this brother, he just throws out, God, I wake up in the morning and you are like a sunrise peeking over a mountain, shining light onto my, your life. The feeling of you is like watching a herd of gazelles running down a mountain and I can feel your presence in my life. And you go, okay, you can feel it. I'm not saying you're not going to feel it, just saying there's no guarantee that you're gonna feel it all the time. The same guy, David, in Psalm 42, verse 11, writes this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's talking to himself. He's looking in the mirror. Why are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. See, David knows not to trust his feelings. He's preaching to himself right now. He's like, I feel this disturbance inside. I don't feel right right now. I feel really downcast. I'm down. I'm depressed. I don't feel like myself. So he preaches it to himself. He looks in the mirror and he says, I need to put my hope in God. That's why proximity is a paradox. You can feel close to God. And it may mean something really, really good. You might not feel close to God. And it may not mean anything at all. It's a paradox. So what do we do with our feelings? Well, I've spent the first little bit of this sermon letting you off the hook. Like, don't, don't feel too much pressure to feel something when you come to church on Sundays or if you open up the word of God or when you're in prayer. Don't feel too much pressure. But at the same time, remember, this is a paradox. There actually may be something between you and Jesus. There may be some significant stuff in between you and Jesus. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna illustrate it. Don't throw the pick up yet, but I've got a picture I wanna show you. Um, I've gotten permission uh, from Angie to show this picture. Um, but let me, let, me, let me give you a background first. First, uh, we, we bought this old house. It was built in 65. So everything's a little bit wonky and has been redone. Uh, in, our, in our master bedroom, we have this closet that's really long. It's almost like a half a hallway. And the clothes are on a rack here on the right side. And, you, and it's just real narrow. And, and Angie's clothes are in the front. So the door here, and, and then there's all these clothes. And then my clothes are in the back. And then her shoes are uh, underneath the clothes. But the shoes have a tendency to kind of spill out um, onto the floor. And um, let's throw that picture up there right now. Um, this is, <laughs> this, you can see my flannel in the background and it's like a, uh, like a Spartan obstacle course to get to my, my, my flannel shirts. Um, also, if you're wondering, Angie does not feel very married to me right now. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> take it down, I'm gonna get in trouble. Um, but here's the deal. So to get to my clothes, it's just like a guaranteed broken ankle, right? I'm like walking through the closet like, man, I, I, can't, get, I can't get there. So what we've done is I've just kind of settled on, I'll get my clean clothes and I'll just, I'll, I'll fold them up and I'll make a pile at the, on the floor at the end of my bed. My wife's like, how come you're doing that? And I'm like, because I gotta wrap my ankles with ace bandages before I get a t-shirt out in the morning. And here's the deal. I think some of us kind of have this, alternate plan here when it comes to our spiritual life and our pursuit of Jesus. Like we've got the space to kind of 
do the normal thing and pursue him, but instead we're like folding our clothes and setting them at the end of the bed. Like, like I, I know what a pursuit of Jesus looked like and a clear path to Jesus, but it's a mess. So instead, I'm, I'm just going to church once a month. <laughs> like I know I should join one of those groups that they're talking about, and I know that's gonna help me get to Jesus, but I gotta figure out an alternative. There's, there's too much going on right here. So I figured out an alternative, and I just kind of have a version of that, of community that I kind of stack at the end of the bed, and it's not really the way it's designed, but I've got kind of a cheap version of it right here, and that's what's going on with some of you. You got some stuff in between you and Jesus. It feels like anytime you try to pursue him, you're twisting your ankle along the way. You're like, this is messy. This is hard. Why is it so hard? I'm not feeling God, but I'm just feeling the pain of trying to get there and I can't reach him. Well, today I got a story from scripture that um, I love this story. Uh, and it's a guy who kind of removes some obstacles between him and Jesus. It's in the book of Luke uh, in chapter 5. And this is what it says. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were Jesus's critics. They were the guy that didn't like him and they thought, we want things to stay the way they are. We don't want your change coming through here. So they had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So they're watching him heal people that are sick. It says this then, some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So let's pause there for a second. Like how much of a disturbance would that be? Can you imagine hearing footsteps, boom, 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 and then feeling the steel curled up on, above us, and then they look down, and then a dude just starts lowering. Everything would stop, all right? We'd be like, hold on, to be continued. Online crowd, you should have been here today, all right? It would be a big deal. And that's how much of a disturbance they brought. They've lowered this guy in the middle of the ceiling. And I love Jesus' response. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He didn't, he didn't ask any questions. He didn't make any challenge to this dude. He's like, this is awesome. Hey, dude, your sins are forgiven. Man, I want that in my life. I want that kind of relationship with Jesus. He gets me eye to eye and goes, Derek, <laughs> this was awesome. You put on the spectacle in this pursuit of me. <laughs> I love you, dude. Your sins are forgiven. But the story goes on. I think this is fascinating. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, again, they're, they're his critic. And they're saying, you, you're not allowed to say that, this, to say that you forgive sins. You're just some dude, all right? Like, like if you're just a guy, you can't forgive sins. And, and by the way, this is full on. If you don't know Jesus, if you're new to the church, um, go watch Star Wars because he's kind of got Jedi mind tricks, all right? Um, Jesus knows what they're thinking. Did you catch that? They didn't even say that out loud. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking this to themselves. So Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven? He's like, anybody could say that. Or to say, get up and walk. Because he knows this dude's paralyzed. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He goes, I'm going to prove that I am who I say I am. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And I love the order that these two things take place. First and foremost, God knows. More importantly than like this life, more importantly than walking, using legs to walk in this world. First, he said, hey, hey buddy, your sins are forgiven. You got crazy amounts of faith. I forgive your sins. And then right after that, on the heels of that, immediately, he says, get up, roll up that mat and get on out of here. And this guy walks out. So Jesus had this incredible impact on this man's life. But I want you to remember, he had this impact because this guy overcame and made decisions to remove the obstacles that were in between him and Jesus. First, he was paralyzed. All right, I need my buddies to carry me. Second, there was a crowd. He's like, all right, let's go to the roof. He gets to the roof and there's tiles on the roof. He says, peel those, those tiles back. We are getting into this crowd. We are going to get face to face with Jesus. And he removes all obstacles in the way. And that's what I want to spend the rest of this message talking about is the obstacles in the way. So Keith and Ryder, you guys over there, where are you? I have asked my buddy Keith and Ryder, uh, Keith is our facilities guy at church. And uh, I've asked them to bring our, um, you're not Ryder, you're Reagan. Uh, You fooled me. Keith's our facilities guy. This is what we call our trash boat. Kind of looks like a boat. And um, I asked to use this as an illustration today. So Keith's been mad at me all week long because I've had his trash boat. Um, But the positive is we had a volunteer take it to the car wash. Doesn't it look nice today? Our our trash boat. Uh, We're going to pretend like I'm you, I'm me, I'm us right here. And Jesus is on the other side of the stage. But we got some stuff. Just like that paralytic man, he's paralyzed, he had the crowd, he had the roof, he removed those out of the way. We're going to talk about some things that we need to remove um, out of our way. Um, First thing I want to talk about is some baggage that we have. Um, Baggage, first, let's just say like our upbringing, kind of who we are, kind of how we were raised. Um, I'm from Kentucky. Uh, When people, when 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 I illustrate what it means to be from Kentucky, I always tell a couple stories. Uh, my grandpa's name was Willie, um, not William, because his parents didn't know that Willie was short for William, all right? <laughs> What's more Kentucky than that? So <laughs> Willie was his name. Uh, I was uh, raised in a place called Sulphur, Kentucky. If you know what sulfur is, it's stinky. It's like rotten eggs or skunk. And I think it's very Kentuckian for some Davy Crockett kind of pioneer to go, what does that smell, sulfur? We should move here. <laughs> like, like, we should call this place Sulphur. So I grew up small town, Kentucky, Sulphur, Kentucky. You can Google it and you'd, be struggle, you'd struggle to find it. Um, but being from the South, being from Kentucky, man, it comes with a lot of things too. Specifically in regards to relationship with Jesus, I didn't grow up in the church, but grandma taught me what I was supposed to say. Grandma told me what I was supposed to say when people said, does Jesus love you? And I'd be like, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Never even looked at a Bible, but I know it says that. (laughs) So my relationship with Jesus actually has a lot of cynicism. Has a lot of sarcasm. And it can be some baggage in, in the way. And I don't know what yours is. 
I don't know what version of you uh, is right here sitting between you and Jesus, but it may be the way you were raised. It may be what it meant to have a father in your life. And you go, no, 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 that's not a good thing. So I got some baggage. I got some baggage between me and Jesus. More baggage I want to talk about. Maybe some of you guys have some abuse in your life. I don't know if it was sexual abuse, emotional abuse, intellectual abuse, spiritual abuse. Some of you have been devalued and made to feel like you are less than you are. And when I think about a guy like Jesus, a guy that loved me so much, that felt like I was worth dying on a cross, he didn't do anything wrong. I had done plenty of wrong, but I had so much value that he died for me. Some of the abuse in your past has become baggage that you go, there's no way that can be true about Jesus because I know what's true about myself. And this baggage sits in between you and him. You gotta work on removing it. I'm sorry for what happened to you. And I 100% validate those feelings and I 100% apologize for whatever has happened to you, but also it may be in between you and Jesus. And you may need to examine what that is because you're saying, I don't feel, I'm not feeling it. I don't feel close to Jesus, but because I put this wall up between him and you may never feel it without breaking pieces of that wall down. More baggage here. I hear this word a lot now. I'm gonna call this one church hurt. Church hurt can be significant. There's some of you in here today. <laughs> okay, Derek, join a group. Guess what? I joined one of your groups and they gossiped. I joined one of your groups and it was hypocritical. These people were cruel. They were mean. These people made fun of one another behind one another's backs. Some of you have church hurt and you say, listen, Derek, I've given to a ministry before and that pastor stole that money and went out and bought himself new cars. Some of you have a church here to go, hey, listen, I had a spiritual father, and he cheated on his wife, and he lied to his congregation, and though he was my mentor, though I was following him, he was not going where he was telling me to go. So I don't believe it. Who Jesus is? <laughs> no way. Again, I, I'm, I'm really sorry for your church hurt. I, I have it too. I have it too but it cannot get between you and Jesus. Yes, the church is the bride of Christ, but the church is made up of broken people. I am a broken person preaching to you today. So you've got to figure out how to remove that. Another piece of baggage that gets in front of us is our success. Some of you guys, things are just going great. You have no need for Jesus. Some of you guys are going, man, Business is booming. Life is going really well. My wife loves me. Things are great. I'm not feeling the brokenness that Jesus might seem to be the solution for. And you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable. We talk here, we talk about our defining mark of being raw. You're like, I can be raw and say, I'm good. I don't even need them. So your success is between you and him. Some of it is the success of the past. 
Some of you, even in the church, you talk about things like church used to be so great. I remember when we had Sunday school classes and a choir, and that's when church was hopping and booming, maybe for you. And that's a good thing for you in the past, but that may not be the thing that leads others to Jesus in the future. So you need to take the success of really great ministry from before and you need to celebrate that, but not let that keep you in between you and Jesus. You need to dismiss that and and let other people find Jesus in the way that they are finding Jesus today so that success can't mark an obstacle coming in between you and Christ. So you got a lot of baggage. But baggage isn't the only thing between you and Jesus. Some of the other things in between you and Jesus is garbage. This one leaks a little bit. I'm going to call the garbage sin. I need to confess to you guys. I actually didn't plan on saying this, but I told everybody last hour. Um, I sinned this week. I told a lie, and it's coming to get me, all right? Um, I was at a grocery store with Taylor. You guys know Taylor, big, tall, six-foot-nine Taylor. And this lady goes, holy cow, how tall are you? And I always like to answer, well, I'm 5'8". Why did you ask? Um, but no, she said, he said, how, how tall you think I am? She's six nine. She's like, wow, that's incredible. But then she, she looks at me and she goes, is that your dad? I'm two years older than Taylor, all right? Yes, I've got more gray. I'm a slightly more weathered, all right? <laughs> well, in the moment, I was like, yeah, that's my boy. And she's like, wow, how, how tall is his mom? I was like, she's six five and she's a lucky woman, all right? So then she's like, hey, can I take your picture and I'll tag you in Facebook? So she did. And now (laughs) Taylor invites her to church and like this Facebook post has gone viral and everybody's like, oh, Peak City's awesome. You should go. So I'm going to have to keep the lie going, y'all. Like if she comes to, Kimmy, if you're here, I'm sorry I lied to you. If she comes to church, I'm going to be like, hey, come here, buddy. Come sit on my lap, Taylor. Let's go out in the parking lot and have a catch, young, young son. Let's go. Like, I lied. <laughs> um, I thought it was just going to be funny, and I, I, I truly feel bad because I wanted to come to our church, but I lied to her. So put in a good word for me if you meet Kimmy. Um, tell her I have weaknesses. Um, let's talk about sin. We got some gross stuff in our lives. A lot of us have sin patterns that we give into over and over and over again. And scripture tells us that Jesus cannot coexist with sin. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. But, and and by the way, people like to, people like to say, um, Times have changed, (laughs) our culture today, but humans have always been this way. We've always rationalized our sin. We've always rationalized our sin. So we think, say things like, man, Jesus would want me to be happy. So we engage in the sin, but it's the very thing that stands between us and Jesus. 
We say things like, well, it's 2022. The Bible was written thousands of years ago, guys. I don't know that it holds the same relevance now. We say things like, um, man, it just makes financial sense to live this way. I know it's sin, but it makes sense to me. We say things like, everyone I know is doing this, and that may be true, but it is something that sits in between you and Jesus. Your sin in your life will sit in between you and Jesus, and the irony is, this is the very thing he died for, but it can cause a gap between you and him. So Getting rid of sin, again, the paradox of proximity. I don't feel close to God. That may be nothing, but if you got a lot of this in between you and him, that may be the very reason you don't feel close to God. Last one, and I don't know, you guys may be mad at me for this one. I've got to like crawl into the trash can for this. Last thing in between you and God is a bunch of baloney, all right? This baloney juices are getting everywhere today. <laughs> hey, here's the deal. Some of what you're saying is between you and Jesus is absolute baloney. All right? Some of you are making up reasons to put space in between you and Jesus. And you spend your time reading articles. You spend your time being mad at political parties. You spend your time being angry with people. And guess what? It has nothing to do with you and Jesus. It's absolute baloney. Stop trying to put space between you and him. And he loves you. And he's trying to get to you. And I might step on your toes. And I I am dead serious. If you disagree with some of this, email me this week and we can talk about it. But some of you have filled your baggage and your garbage with baloney. The church hurt me. Well, you know what? The church is made up of people. And guess what? Our people aren't necessarily better than other people. Some of you are looking for reasons. Some of your sin in your life, do you know how often I meet with young men in our church that say, I started looking at Instagram and these ladies were in bathing suits and then I started looking at women that didn't have bathing suits on and then I started looking at women that didn't have anything on and it was videos and guess what? If you say there's space between me and Jesus because of Instagram, I say baloney. Absolute baloney, guys. Some of you are choosing to put space between you and Jesus. And just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Release it. I'm telling you, your life will be so much better if you identify what is an obstacle and what is an excuse. Some of you all have really difficult things that you need to get rid of. And they are obstacles. And some of you, you put there. Some of them, someone else put there. And they're absolute obstacles. Some of you guys are just making excuses. Pick up a broom and sweep the stuff out of the way. And that's exactly why I say, guys, proximity is a paradox. I'm not promising you you're going to feel Jesus every single minute of every day. But I can also tell you, if you're feeling the path to Jesus with all of this junk, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it in your heart. Here's what I think caps off the paradox of proximity, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you 
who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ is what gets rid of all this stuff. So the solution's there. I mean, the very thing that you're trying to get to, Jesus, he is the solution for all this. And he takes all of this garbage and he gets rid of it. He gets it out of the way and he has already cleared the space for you. I don't feel close to Jesus. Well, guess what? He died so that you could. He takes all of this mess and all of these obstacles and all of your past and all of your hurt and all of your pain and he gets rid of it and he says, I am right here. I love you. I care about you. I care about you so much that I died on the cross for you. And if you don't know or understand what that means, let me capture it real briefly. We have mess in our hearts. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. He died for you. Let me make that really clear. He died for you so that you could have a relationship with him. And just like the paralytic, you can have forgiveness of your sins and an eternity together. And one day I can't wait to sit down with that paralytic man and say, what was that like? And I will, because we will have eternity together. But also, he wants to make your life better now. And he can make your life better now. He told that paralytic man, get up and walk. We have videos like Chelsea. She says, my life is better now because of Jesus. We have people, testimonies in our congregation every single week of saying, my life is better because I've cleared out the path between Jesus and myself and we're spending time together and he is making my life better. So two things I wanna leave you with today. Two life hacks. One, it's not a, not a commercial, but I must say it. Join a group. Remember that paralytic man? Did he push up on those crowds by himself? Nope. Did he peel back those tiles on the roof by himself? Nope. He had buddies do it with him. And it's not easy. But listen, Jesus died so all this stuff could be wiped out. But when you do it with biblical community, you don't do it alone. Gosh, so much easier to see him. So much easier to see him. Second tip for you, I would tell you, tell Jesus what he's done. That's why we see, sing songs every weekend. He, he knows who he is. <laughs> we sing, we're reminding ourselves of what he's done for us. And sometimes we don't always live in it. Sometimes we don't feel close to Jesus because we've forgotten to tell him how we feel. And when we tell him how we feel, he reminds us of what he has done. I had a season of this recently. I've had a tough year move in, dealing with some depression and anxiety stuff, lost a loved one. And I was having a conversation with Jesus about a month ago. I said, man, you really rescued me. You have been my life preserver in this season. I was just telling him what he's done. And, and, and not in an audible voice, but just in a sense, I hear him say, well, if, if, if I've rescued you, why are you still hanging on to that life preserver? <laughs> why are you flailing? If you're rescued... What do you act like you're sinking for? And I went literally moments in my head and in my heart, I went from life preserver to lazy river. I was like, yeah, I can relax. I told Jesus what he done, and I immediately felt like, yeah, I'm floating down a lazy river on an inner tube going, life is good. I got a church I love. Got a wife and a family that I love, and they love me. Just 
telling Jesus what he'd done to rescue me. He reminded me of what he's doing and will do in the future. So take some time to tell Jesus what he's done. We're gonna give you guys an opportunity um, to make a decision um, today. And before we do that, I wanna challenge all of you all, as we close out in worship, I want you to sing. I want you to tell Jesus what he's done when we sing today. I know you may not be a singer. I'm not, I'm not a singer at all. When I walked up here and my mic was off, that's because I didn't want you all to hear me during worship. But I want you to tell Jesus what he's doing in your life through these lyrics. But stand up right now. Let's do a little decision time together. First decision, maybe you're hearing about Jesus for the first time and you need to make a first time decision for Jesus. You need to say, hey, there's a man that died on a cross to save me from my sin. I have never given him an opportunity to do that. And I wanna give you an opportunity for that today, for you to say, hey, for the first time ever, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. And no, you may not fully understand it all now, but that's okay. None of us did in that initial decision, but we wanna give you that opportunity. The other opportunity I'm gonna give you is if you say, I'm gonna acknowledge I've got some baggage or some garbage or some baloney in between me and Jesus. I'm gonna leave here and I'm gonna make a choice to move some of it out of the way. Maybe you're following Jesus for a while, but you're not feeling him and you need to remove some of that stuff too. So let's start with that first, first one. If you wanna make a first time decision for Jesus, uh, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads so that it can be private. But if you wanna make a first time decision for Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's cool to see hands going up. Go ahead and put your hands down. If you're making a decision today and you've said, hey, I have put some obstacles in between me and Jesus. There's some baggage or garbage or some baloney that I made up and I need to move it out of the way to follow after him. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Good, lots of hands going up. All right, put your hands down. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thanks for loving us so much that you died on a cross for us. Help us to pursue you. Help us to never slow down in our pursuit of you. Help us to break down obstacles that sit in between you and us. Help us to shove them out of the way. Help us to come together as, as community, as family, as friends, as peers, and just shove against the gates of hell, push back against Satan's obstacles, and give this life to you. God, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for loving us. And amen, amen, amen. God, we worship you now. Guys, let's sing together. Let's tell Jesus. Jesus, what he's done, and let's celebrate and let his truth wash over us through as we worship. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service, and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.